0: Welcome to Contemplate, a Bible teaching ministry of Pastor David Robinson, and brought to you by Acts Church in Vancouver, Washington. Today we're in Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 11. So please get out your Bible, and here's Pastor David. So let's let's pray for
1: a second. Let's let's get centered down a little bit. Father, I just ask that our hearts be ready for you. This morning, for whatever you have to give us, Lord, we love your word. We know it's true. Through the hard times, through the good times, through through all that we deal with in this fallen world, Lord, we have joy in you and hope in you, faith in you, and you give us peace and just unspeakable joy. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that we're free. We're free in you, in your name. Amen. So, when I was in high school, I played football. Um, I was a lot smaller than I am now. Uh, mostly in the midsection. And, uh, you know, I was a lineman. And so my job on the field, on offense, was to keep the big, rowdy guy on the other side of the line from tackling the quarterback, right? Um, when, when the quarterback was passing, when we were running, it was a different thing that we did. But when the quarterback was going to drop back for pass, my job was to block this person I'm getting in my athletic stance. and That's all coming back to me now. Um, Glory days. Anyway, so I I got this guy, and and he's trying to come, and I want to keep him from tackling the quarterback, right? That's my job. Like I said, I wasn't as big as I am now, and sometimes I had to block guys that were a lot bigger than me, Um, and sometimes scary, And, and, you know, because, you know, they're big, and they want to hurt me, and so... Um, I had to do this, but I wasn't necessarily one of the bigger linemen, so um, I had to figure something out, so I had a plan, uh, very sneaky plan. Uh, my plan was this. When a person wanted to get to the quarterback, I know something about them, these big, these big guys, is that once their body gets going in a certain direction, I can just take their momentum and make them go... In another direction. And so what I would do is, because I couldn't just stand there toe-to-toe with some of these guys, uh, you know, I guess I could have lifted weights or something, but that was too hard. I just decided to do it this way. So, so when they come at me, right, I had to take them, and they usually pick a side to get to the quarterback. They wanted to go around me this way, or they wanted to go around me this way. Occasionally they wanted to go through me, which is less comfortable, but usually they pick a side, right? And so whatever side they picked, I would basically just get on their hip and just drive them with their momentum so that instead of getting to the quarterback, they'd go out and around him, okay? Does that make sense? Um, I'm trying to explain this one well enough so you understand. So if they try to go this way, I'm gonna drive them out this way. If they try to go this way, I'm gonna drive them out this way, right? If I start going out this way and then they wanna switch to this side, I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm gonna say, okay, big guy, wherever your momentum is going, we're just going to go all the way that way, right? And so what I was doing is I would always keep them from having a straight, always, sometimes I didn't. Um, <laughs> the coach would yell at me. Um, I would try to keep them from in a straight line to the quarterback. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is to brag that I played football in high school. No, that the reason I'm telling you this is so that you understand something about the way that Satan works. Because Satan is always happy. He doesn't mind having you go towards Jesus. He just wants to make sure that when you do, he takes whatever momentum you have and drives you to one side or to the other. He takes your momentum, your natural momentum, and he just drives you out, out past, out away from Jesus. You feel like you're going that way, but he's driving you. So on one side, he may drive you towards um, over-exercising your freedom in Christ and becoming immoral. On another side, he might drive you towards legalism and self-righteousness and make you so about the rules that you forget about who Jesus is and you become prideful in your rule following and self-righteousness and looking down on other people. And either way, either way that we get pushed, it does not glorify Jesus, and that's all he cares about. So long as he can get us on one side or the other, he doesn't care, as long as it's not straight to Jesus. And unfortunately, we tend to go along with that a lot of times. We tend to let our momentum be pushed out to one side or the other, and we miss Jesus. And so, last time we studied Acts, we dealt with a guy who got healed, and this time we're gonna go through uh, the, the rest of that story. But I want us to think about how it seems like we're always, there's always these two sides. And it seems like Satan always wants to drive people one way or the other, but the last thing ever would be to drive us in a straight line to Jesus. He doesn't want that. So let's read about what happens here. We're in chapter 14. Like I said, last time we had Paul and Barnabas. They've been basically kicked out of two places, right? They were at Iconium. I'm not going to put a map up um, this time, but they were at Iconium. and, And then they have gone to, they were at Antioch in Pisidia and then at Iconium. And now they've come to Lystra. And in Lystra, they see this guy as Paul's preaching. He sees this guy. This guy was, was unable to walk from the womb. I mean, before he was ever born, his legs did not work and he could not walk. And he saw that this guy had faith that the Holy Spirit could heal him. And so he told him, stand up. The guy did. He's leaping. He's walking around. And people are amazed, okay? The people are shocked. And we talked about that last time. This time, we're going to start in the verse right after that. If, you'll, if you take your Bibles, if you have one, or your mobile device, if you want to use that to, to do it. There are no Pokemon to catch in here, so just you can go straight to the Bible app. And um, if not, it'll be on the screen here. But we're going to go to verse Verse 11 because we ended in verse 10 last time, as I recall. And so let's start at verse 11, and we'll read 11 and 12 to study those first. So it says, Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. All right. So, when the people saw What Paul had done. This is the first mistake that's been made. What did Paul do? He spoke something. This guy that was healed was not healed by Paul. Paul was not magical. The Holy Spirit, the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is what healed this guy. And clearly, Paul was preaching that so that they could understand They would never have taken the credit for himself. But it says, when the people saw what Paul had done, they wanted it to be Paul who had done this thing. As soon as they do that, they want to turn these guys into gods they want to turn these guys into gods. Um, They said, hey, look, the gods have come to us in the likeness of men. And the thing that's so crazy is that that's so close to what really was true that Paul was preaching about. Jesus had come. He had come as a man, fully God, fully man, dwelt among us, died for us, rose from the grave, and the power of his Holy Spirit was there and active and working. That's what Paul was trying to preach. And so, the, so God had come, but not in the way that they wanted it to be or the way that they were talking about it, okay? They called Paul, Barnabas, and Hermes. Uh, I'm sorry, they called Paul, Barnabas. They called Paul, Hermes, and Barnabas Zeus. We have uh, Disney has done a Bible study on this, and there, here's the picture of Paul and Barnabas at that time. Um <laughs> Poor Paul, he got the short end of that stick, and the little blue guy is supposed to be Hermes. The other guy with the white hair and the beard that looks like me, um, that's supposed to be, <laughs> be Zeus. No? There's a lot of laughing. Okay. <laughs> it's possible that I see what I want to see. All right, um, all right, Tiffany, you're right. I, you know, you're crazy. Okay, so they probably called Paul Hermes because Hermes is the chief speaker of the gods, right? He's the main speaker for Zeus, and so Paul was the one talking the most. So they called him Hermes, right? Um, there's a Roman poet named Ovid who tells a story about, uh, about Zeus and Hermes coming to the area of Phrygia, and, and they um, go to a thousand homes, and every one of them doesn't give them, you know, is not hospitable to them. And they finally come to the home of this elderly couple, and all this stuff happens and whatever. And so they may have known about this story, um, and it may have connected to why they're saying, oh, this is Hermes and Zeus. I don't know. Um, what it does show us is that in seeing this man healed, they had no confusion that the power of God had been at work. Because of the nature of this miracle, there was no confusion that the power of God had been at work, and but they wanted it to be their gods. Right? Because that's something they control. That's something they could control, that's something they could understand, right? And so, um, we, we see these guys, and Paul and Barnabas here, and they're, they're calling them gods. Let's look at the next couple of verses, 13 and 14. It says, Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. So the priest is getting these oxen ready to sacrifice because people are saying, hey, Zeus and Hermes are here. And he's like, okay, let's get these oxen. Of course, I'm just imagining these oxen are walking out and they're like, bro, that ain't Zeus and Hermes. I ain't going down like that for these two dudes. This is not Zeus and Hermes. I'm telling you, Paul did not look like Hermes and Barnabas, did not look like Zeus uh, because Zeus and Hermes aren't real. FYI. Um, but they tear their clothes and run into the crowd, and you may be wondering, why would they tear their clothes? Which is a very reasonable thing for you to wonder. Um, especially since clothing was not cheap. Everything was handmade and organic. Because that's all there was, right, back then. Um, and, but it was. It was expensive, right? These were expensive clothing. And they tear their clothes. This was a, a custom. We see it in Scripture in, in a couple different instances. When there's great grief, like when a close family member dies, we see Reuben and Jacob tear their clothes when they think Joseph has died. Uh, We also see in the Mishnah that the, the judges in the Sanhedrin, if blasphemy, if someone is accused of blasphemy and the witness comes and says that the person is blaspheming, the judges have to stand up and tear their clothes. And so I think there's a little bit of a mix here for Paul and Barnabas probably. In one sense, they're very grieved, right, that these people would do such a dishonorable thing to God, but also because it was so dishonorable, it was blasphemy. And so this is the way that they react. They're torn. Their heart is torn. These people have missed the point. They've missed the point. I mean, Paul and Barnabas, man, they've been struggling and traveling and giving everything to preach Jesus. and, and And then the Holy Spirit through them does a miracle. And instead of having it bring people to Jesus, they turn towards false gods and they're broken over it. So they tear their clothes and they run in among the crowds. And this is what it says in verse 15. And saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. So what 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 are they saying here? Why are you doing this? We are dudes, right? People like you. There's nothing, we're not gods. There's nothing special in that way about us. I mean, Barnabas probably worked out, took care of himself, probably ate kale, maybe looked good, but he was no God, okay? These were not gods. And these people are so, so wrapped up in their way of doing things that they had to turn something good and make it crooked. They got pushed to the side. And so Paul is preaching to them, saying, give up this nonsense. This is nonsense. Idols are worthless, right? These things that you are looking to in your life to give you meaning are useless. They have no use. And I think sometimes uh, we can be very smug in sections like this here because we know there's no such thing as Zeus and Hermes. And so we're like, oh, those silly, you know, people from Lystra, you know, they're so backwards worshiping their, their statues and their whatever. At least we don't do that. But let me, let me cure the giggles in your heart at the Lystra people. Don't we do this too? Don't we? Are you looking to anything that's made by men, made by mankind, for the things that you should only be looking to God to, to Christ to, because he's the only one who can provide them? You ever drown your sorrows, or go in your need to things that are made by mankind rather than to Jesus Christ, your TV, your car, your sportses, your 401K, your house, your pornography, your alcohol, your drugs, your iPhone, your social media, your music, your your whatever. We ever go to these things that are made by men, and while we don't bow down to them, don't we? In some way? Because we're going to them for things that only God can give us. Paul's message to these folks is not just to these folks. So I was important enough to make it into the scripture. Not every sermon that Paul gives makes it into the scripture. In fact, of the ones that he speaks to Gentiles directly, there's only two in Acts where we actually get the words of those sermons written down. It's important for us to realize that these are, people are not any different than us. We give power to idols just like they did. Just like they did. And he's saying, listen, these idols are just things made by men. They cannot give satisfaction. It says, turn to the living God. The only real God. The God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And and importantly, that made you. And deserves your worship. Deserves your worship. We do not worship gods made by mankind. But the living God who made mankind. Anything else is worthless for worship. It's not worshipable. There's nothing there. It's useless. And how do I know? Because I've worshiped it all at one time or another. And it's just diminishing returns, and nothing's coming back, and it never solves the problem because it was never meant to. And this is what Paul is trying to tell them. We do not worship gods made by mankind, but the living God who made mankind. Paul is clearly implying here, that Zeus and Hermes are not real. Now, that seems like a normal thing for you or me, but what if that's what their life was built around? He's basically telling, hey, this thing that you believe, it's untrue. Now, why wasn't he nicer or more tolerant? Just telling these people they are wrong. Just, hey, you're wrong. People get upset about that these days, right? If you say, hey, listen, Jesus is the way to God, and any way that does not say that Jesus is the way to God is a false way. But, but we don't like that in our culture now, right? It's all ideas are equally valid, right? Isn't that, isn't that what you're told? Be tolerant, right? But Paul isn't that way. He is actually being nice, He is actually being loving because loving someone oftentimes is speaking the truth to them in love. Because if he just lets them sacrifice to them, it's like, okay, these people are hopeless, and moves on, right? But he doesn't want to say anything about their false ideas, then he leaves them believing falsehoods, which is bad for them. It's bad for us to believe things that are false. We should always be seeking things that are true. And sometimes that means that we have to speak in love in grace, in kindness, with the right heart. But we have to speak the truth. Paul shows us that here in this passage. Let's go on to the next couple of verses, 16 and 17. It says this, Who in bygone generations, he's talking about God, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So, he's telling them, God allowed all these nations to walk in their own ways. What does it mean that God allowed them to? It's it's not that God was allowing their sin and saying it was okay. What it's saying is that the instant that someone sinned, rebelled against God and therefore deserved death, he did not instantly go, pa every time because there would be no people If he did that, God shows a certain amount of grace to people and patience to people, right? Because we know Romans 3.23 tells us that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? All of us. And so if God had not had some grace, which is what Paul's talking about here, for people, we all just would have died as soon as we deserved it. But he's saying, "No, no, no, the nations of the earth, the peoples of the earth have been given a certain level of grace, And even good things, things that fill our hearts, right? Things that make us happy, things that are good. The rain comes down, the crops grow, we eat, right? We we, we enjoy life. God has given that to all of us. We've all gotten good things from God, and that is a level of grace. I think that Paul actually mentions the crops, basically, the rain and the crops, Because Zeus, at this time, was worshipped as the God of the weather and the God of vegetation. And so I think he's making that clear. It's God who's done those things. The good things that you have have come from God. He has not left himself without a witness. All good things come from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God has always left a witness of the truth of his existence, and as Paul says here, of his goodness, that he's worshipable. Romans tells us in chapter 1 that there is no excuse, no excuse for those who choose not to worship God, who choose not to follow God, who choose not to do the good. Why is there no excuse? Because everything that we need to know about God to make us seek after him, to make us follow him, we can see through nature. Even in what he's talking about with the rain and the crops, we even in that see a foreshadow of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
0: So how about you? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? There really is no excuse. And if you have questions or we can help you make that life-changing decision for Christ, call us at 360-885-9000 or send us an email. Use info at axchurchnw.org. And we'd love to have you join us for church this Sunday. Get directions and all the info you need at axchurchnw.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll check out the next episode for more with Pastor David Robinson here on Contemplate.